great assessor of canine talent. Yeah. <laughs> not not football talent in at Cincinnati, but uh, but no, he Any was. Reason, I'm not sure who I'm going to play at quarterback, but I got my free safety, and he's a Labrador. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to run this three wide retriever set. Three wide. <laughs> Like this kid, he's a bulldog in the trenches. <laughs> they love it when I run wildcat. <laughs> they go, they <laughs> just go crazy. <laughs> These are the tales of college football past as you've never heard them before. Our guests tell stories blending team seasons, on and off field moments, memories of personal fandom catastrophe and elation, and yes, alcohol. I'm Jeremy. I'm Matt. I'm Joe. And I'm Kyle. We do the work, you tell the story. These are the college football stories. My name is Clayton Truder, and I'm here to tell you the story of the 2016 Cincinnati Bearcats football season. It began on Christmas Eve 2015. I was at my parents' house awaiting Christmas morning, and we watched, I think it was the Hawaii Bowl. My father, my, no, my father's not really a big football fan. My mother, my brother, and I were watching the Hawaii Bowl, and Cincinnati, who had come off a 7-5 and five season, uh, it had been my first year covering Cincinnati football. I predicted them to go 12-0, and 0, and they instead went 7-5 <laughs> and five and finished fourth in whichever of the divisions in the AAC they were in at that point and were in some bowl game they didn't want to go to, and they got pounded by San Diego State 42-7. And I figured this was not a good omen. Cincinnati <laughs> had a quarterback controversy in 2015 among about seven different guys. By the time of the 2016 season, it shook down to – Aiden Moore, who followed me on Twitter, to Gunnar Keel, who had blocked me, and Ross Trill, who I don't think was on Twitter. And as a result, I was all for Hayden Moore becoming the starting quarterback, and he did, probably largely through my suggestion. And the Bearcats had a very rough season in 2016, uh, it turned out. It certainly wasn't all his fault. They had an inexperienced offensive line. They had a new offensive coordinator named Zach Taylor. Nobody had ever heard of at that point, but is now the coach of the Cincinnati Bengals and is now a genius, apparently. And um, I had high hopes again for the Bearcats in 2016. In fact, I've been writing for Down the Drive, the Cincinnati Bearcats uh, SB Nation site since 2015. And I think I've never picked them to go worse than 11-1. and one. Uh, the, re- the readership largely wants someone to boost the teams, and I give them what they want. Uh, and SB Nation gives me a meager amount of money in, uh, in response to that. Um, Let's see. Um, you've actually you've actually been right the past two years. Well, no, I, I said eleven and one last year. They were twelve and twelve. Well, until Georgia got a hold of them, they were twelve and zero. But they played played well against Georgia's junior varsity team. Really, because like half the Georgia guys are like, I'm going to be a first round pick. Why am I going to play in the you know play in the you know playing a big bowl game? I mean, which apparently is why not why guys go to college anymore. I guess. But whatever. <laughs> the Cincinnati Bearcats had a had a very difficult season in 2016. Um, Tommy Tuberville was the coach. I think largely I would lay the blame on it for Tuberville's management of the program over the previous years. Tuberville was an indifferent recruiter. Um, it made several statements to that effect that it wasn't really his thing 
at this point. I mean, he'd, he'd already been through some big jobs. This was sort of like after he retired becoming a Walmart greeter, I think, in his mind. And that's how he treated being the coach of the Bearcats. Um, they would go to kind of minor bowl games, and he would make comments that, this isn't so bad for the Bearcats. This is a pretty good bowl game for us. I mean, oh, not like being at Auburn and going to the Sugar Bowl. He was happy <laughs> just to just to go to a bowl game, get a, get a six-figure check, to look like a slightly handsomer Roy Orbison. That was really his thing. Um, the Bearcats went through indifferent recruiting, um, through having something of an indifferent coach, uh, ended up struggling in the 2016 season. Uh, they they opened up against Tennessee Martin. I have no recollection of that game. Uh, what was I doing on September 1st, 2016? I think I might have gone to a Boston College football game that day, and then I watched the game on condensed. I could through the condensed uh, version on the AAC football app. I think who did BC lose to in their opener that day? Um, I assume they lost. No, they probably beat like Maine or somebody or Holy Cross. They beat. Maybe someone in a blade school from New England, I assume. But then That's I went right. home and watched the condensed version and was duly impressed with um, with Hayden Moore's effort that day um, because he followed me on Twitter. So I had nothing but nice things to say about him as a result. Uh, I talked about how he'd lost about 20 pounds in the offseason and had gotten very cut up. Uh, I presumed he'd been eating a lot of chicken and broccoli and drinking protein shakes and eating a low-carb diet in the offseason. Week two against Purdue, typically... I remember this because I had to do the game write-up. Typically, I do. I did in-week analysis in the 2016 season. Uh, I would do, the, do a video vault column about previous meetings between the opponents. Uh, I would preview the opponent frequently. I did two to three pieces a week in the 2016 season. But the editor, for whatever reason, couldn't write it that week, so I remember writing about the Purdue game. And Purdue was certainly at a low ebb at that time, so beating Purdue was a big deal because it was a Big Ten program. But... <clears throat> It um, in the end, it didn't turn out to be um, uh, it, it didn't turn out to be as impressive a win as it seemed at the time. Uh, then the, the Cincinnati Bearcats played Houston, and I always like it when we play Houston because I go on the podcast of my my friends who have the uh, what's it called Scott and Holman podcast. They're great guys. They cover Houston football, and we chatted about. I doubt we actually chatted chatted about the game that week. We probably chatted about. Um, I think Finding Neverland came out that fall. I think we chatted about that probably for a while. Um, and the Bearcats got crushed, and it was sort of a bellwether for the rest of the season. Um, Houston will be joining us in the um, in the Big uh, Big Twelve in the near future. Uh, they're certainly uh, they they also had um, uh, I think they were the first football program I can think of that had a Twitter handle. Um, I got on Twitter very briefly in like 2009, just when it was starting, and people were talking about what they had for breakfast primarily, as opposed to fighting over each other over silly cultural matters. Um, and uh, they had a hashtag. I think it was H Town Takeover. And I, oh, that's pretty good. I think other programs should get them, and everybody's gotten one since then. Um, probably because of their great Twitter handle, Houston went on to improve their football program significantly in this time period. Uh, they went through a bunch of coaches. I remember the Houston guys being mad about all the different, you know, guys leaving and stuff. Cincinnati's certainly familiar with that from Brian Kelly leaving them high and dry right before going to a championship game. Um, that, that That's still a bee in the bonnet of people in Cincinnati, I would say. Butch Jones did pretty well in replacement. But, um, yeah, Tuberville by 2016 was sort of like um, – there's a really great book about Joe Paterno called The Lion in Winter about his, I think, 2004 season. And you read it and think, how is this guy still coaching at this point? 
And then you realize he was the coach for another like six years or something. Um, he just seems totally to have nothing to do with the program. And I gather that's what was happening with Tuberville at the time. I assume his Senate office is run in a similar fashion. Um, <laughs> then, then the Bearcats in their fourth game played Miami, Ohio, who they always beat. Uh, the victory bell game, I believe Cincinnati's won that 148 times in a row now. <laughs> probably, I, I believe the first time they won it in the streak was probably the first year they had the Kentucky Derby or something. Um, so Cincinnati beat Miami, Ohio. We don't have a, a sister blog with Miami, Ohio, so I never do a column with them. So I never get any extra Twitter followers from that. So that's always kind of annoying. I wish they scheduled somebody who also had an SB Nation site. So maybe two or three of them would start to follow me and I could really jack my numbers up. Um, let's see. <laughs> you know that, Florida, that that fervent that fervent Miami Ohio football football fan base. That bell is great. Like I've seen the bell up close, and so on each side, it's like the years that Miami and Cincinnati have won it, and the Cincinnati side is like full. Like it's like it, it's painted on, and like you can tell that they've had to like get smaller and smaller. And the Miami side like still has like room left. <laughs> There will end up being a crack in the ball like it's the Liberty Bell from all the Cincinnati <laughs> on the one side. Let's see, South Florida. What do I recall about South Florida? Is that when Willie Taggart was coaching there? He was a handsome coach. Uh, I mean, I always, I would always do a list ranking of the handsomeness. In 2016, in July 2016, I did a, a, an article uh, which ranked all 120 whatever it is coaches based on their handsomeness. And I think Willie Taggart was like 13 or 14 at that point. He did very well. He really has Where did, this, uh, a dynamic Tumble smile Ball. and very, very uh, glowing eyes as well. Um, so he was, he was, I mean, Tommy Tuberville, let's be honest, is a fairly handsome guy too. Even, oh, before, yeah. he, even before he became a failed senator, as a failed football coach, he was a very good looking one at that. I mean, that salt and pepper hair of his was great. Um, heart, it's, he, Tommy Tuberville is certainly easy on the eyes. The sweater um, vest really just brought out. Yeah, so great. Much. I'm a sweater vest kind of. I mean, I'm wearing my Antonio Brown sweater because the Johnny Manziel one was one more dollar on eBay, um, and it didn't have extra extra large. Um, so, let's see. UConn. Speaking of handsome coaches, you remember Bob Diaco? Oh yeah. Bob Diaco was number one three years running for handsomest coach. <laughs> that guy is just. Um, they broke the mold when they made that guy. Just that. You see, it's such a nice, nice washboard ab stomach. <laughs> Just these beautiful blue eyes, just a typical tall, dark, and handsome hunk. Uh, <laughs> and if only UConn football was as good as he was handsome, it would be the Alabama of college football. <laughs> hey, they made uh, they made a New Year's Six Bowl, remember? They did, but they also lost to UMass this year. Which, that was, <laughs> and true. UMass lost to Central Connecticut. So it's interesting <laughs> that Central Connecticut is apparently better than, UMass, than, uh, than uh, UConn this year. Even though it's it's still Randy Edsel who's the guy who got them to the big game there. Um, yeah. Let's see, East Carolina. Okay. Oh, we lost to UConn. I don't know how that happened. They were pretty terrible. We lost to South Florida. We beat East Carolina. I have no recollection of that game. My buddies, the Boneyard Podcast, they're great guys at East Carolina. Uh, I'm, I go on their show every year. There's a radio station down there with a guy named uh, Cliff. Um, what's his name? Cliff. Uh, I can't think of his last name. I've been on his show a couple times. He's a great guy. I sort of feel like, in some ways, um, Greenville, North Carolina. Everybody thinks it's everybody says it's Greensboro. You get told this like, "Oh man, Greensboro." That's like where Ric Flair wrestled and stuff. No, it's not where Ric Flair wrestled. It's um, it's on the other side of the state. I feel like Greenville is maybe the town in America I'm most qualified to live in. It's not that I like a place that's neither huge nor so tiny that there's no fast food. 
I need places where there's like sufficient fast food amenities, and this seems like very much like a fast food town. There's like twenty thousand people. Um, this guy Clip Brock is his name. Very funny guy. He has weekly sports bar trivia that is sports trivia specifically. So it's not all those other trivia night jerks at it. It's just sports trivia people specifically. If I lived in Greenville, I would go to sports trivia every single Tuesday night with Cliff. I would be a season ticket holder for all of ECU sports, none of which are very good. But they have a very fervent fan base. Like, it's a town of 20,000 people. They average like 34,000 people at their football games. That doesn't really seem, I mean, I guess Clemson does something along those lines, too. Yeah, it's 15,000 15, in Clemson. I feel like I'd be overwhelmed. Being used to BC football crowds, I feel like I'd be overwhelmed going to a Clemson game where there's actually a massive humanity there. Um, uh, so I, I think I think actually that is probably the perfect town for me to live in because they have fast food, college football. I like college libraries, too. When I, when I, when I go to write, it's my favorite place. There's nobody ever, any, ever there like on the third floor or something on a random Tuesday night. So after work, I'll go there and I'll, and I'll spend a couple hours there. I can really be productive. So I think probably that is the town in America in which I'm most qualified to live. And the Bearcats beat them. Um, so at, at October 22nd, 2016, they're three and no, they're four and three, which is as good as things are going to get. Uh, then they play Temple, which uh, I've been to the Temple campus. One time I applied for a job. Um, uh, it was called Philadelphia Teaching Fellows. Uh, it was called. I applied. I applied for that. I went to the city and spent a day there. And like I don't know. I don't remember what they had me do. I didn't get the job. It probably could have, you know they were able to get a good sense of my personality, so they didn't hire me. And um, boy, it's a rough, rough neighborhood around that campus. Those are some tough kids. Yeah. Um, North North Philly is uh, no joke. I did the same yeah, thing. Certainly... I was up for oh, a job. Didn't... I was up for a job at Temple and didn't get it either. <laughs> oh wow okay i've yeah it's uh it's a beautiful campus is it okay i i didn't i i was i was actually there was i was actually there was a high school i i i, I didn't actually even go to the temple campus i went to um there, there was a high school on somewhere on north broad street and i saw the temple there's like a temple tower in the distance and i started walking there and after about 10 blocks i just lost my courage and turned around <laughs> it was getting dark i'm like eh, i should probably probably get back to vermont um that was a good idea then okay and of course we lost that game because temple was pretty good then because they had that anthony rizzo kid as their quarterback who speaking very hands probably one of the most handsome quarterbacks in the aac of this era uh hayden moore was not a bad looking guy gunner keel i mean a bit scandinavian for my taste um <laughs> um I mean, he has a, he looks like he's a, he's a bit of a Nordic Avenger kind of a look yeah. to him. Um, <laughs> but he's got a great name. I mean, Gunner. Great I mean, name. He sounds like he should be in a metal band. And his right. father, Blair Kills, I mean, he's probably the best of the Jerry Faust era Notre Dame quarterbacks, which is uh, not saying a lot. But uh, <laughs> he did beat Boston College in the 83 Liberty Bowl. It was, uh, um, you know, Doug Flutie, you know, his, uh, he played in three bowl games. He lost that one. They won the Tangerine Bowl against Rutgers. And they beat Houston in the Cotton Bowl, but uh, yeah, Blair Gill took it to took it to him down in um, that's the one in Memphis. I always mix up the Independence and Liberty. Is Liberty Bowl the one in Memphis. Liberty's in Memphis. Liberty. Yeah, I always in mix Memphis. up that in Independence Bowl because I remember one time I, I I was in the airport in one of those cities. I'm like, oh man, I can't wait to see the Independence Bowl. They're like, no, that's the other one. <laughs> okay, BYU. BYU is really the the point in the season when people figure, okay, Tuberville is going to lose his job. In part because of a comment. I don't know if you remember. Do you remember the comment he made after this game? No. Okay. Not off the top of my head. Tell us. Okay. 
So they, they, they fall to, they get just stomped by BYU. They scheduled BYU for a bunch of games, and BYU just beat them on, I think beat them every single time they played them. And the Bearcats fell to, let's see, it, that came up, Bearcats. I don't know what I was talking about. Um, so too much time talking to Cincinnati people. Um, okay, they fell to four and five with the loss to BYU. And after the game, somebody's like, Tuberville, you should, you should get fired. And Tuberville looks up at some student and really just is such an old man, get off my lawn thing. He goes, go to hell, get a job. And it was <laughs> like the next day, like the lead story in all the Cincinnati papers was get a job. Yeah. And then they're like, well, just Tommy, you should too, because you're going to be out of work in a couple of weeks. <laughs> and of course they get stopped by UCS. This is Scott Frost. Not one of the most handsome coaches in the conference, but a very effective one. And they, you know, they're on the way up. They found Cincinnati. Uh, a lot of touchdowns this year. This is their I guess, third straight game without a touchdown. Yep. Um, let's see in their home finale against Memphis. Memphis was mighty Christian to them and let them put one in uh, 34 to seven in front of uh, 25,000 people, which is probably really like 12,000 people leaving early for Thanksgiving. And they finished the season playing at Tulsa. The, um, the smallest division one program, I believe, uh, in terms of the size of the student body, and they found a way to lose to Tulsa, um, which they almost did a couple of weeks ago as well. Uh, I'll kind of root for Tulsa. Ever since I found out they only have like nine students, I've kind of been in favor of them as a result of it, just that, they're, that they still feel, feel the Division One football team. And Cincinnati finishes four and eight, and Tommy Tuberville got relieved of his duties, and Luke Fickle becomes the coach. And Clayton writes in response to this, Clayton's assessment of the hire, Cincinnati decided to place itself firmly in the shadow of the state's top college football program with this hire. This table scrap selection sends a message to the country. Cincinnati accepts its second-rate status in the state's college football hierarchy. Rather than charting its own course, course with a candidate like Troy's Neil Brown, the Bearcats hired an Ohio State institution man. They hired a straight-out-of-central casting, defense-first, tough guy coach at a time when Cincinnati needs to figure out how to score some points. Much has been made of the pluck shown by interim coach Fickle and the Buckeyes during that post-Trestle 6th and 7th season. I realize that the Columbus Clippers were in a tough spot there, but I feel like any competent coach could have won, could have, could have walked in and won enough games to get bowl eligible with all of that talent. I fear that by hiring Luke Fickle, the Bearcats have initiated a self-imposed exile to 6th and 7th of them. Boy, was I wrong. That was <laughs> arguably the worst prediction of a coach's success in the history of college football, and I... Uh, I'm proud to uh, to have it be my great accomplishment in sports writing, and that is the Bearcats 2016 season. That was that was excellent. I've I've got a question, uh, but I, I'm sure that you've got one, Joe. I'm, it's going to take me a second to find what I'm looking for. If you want to go ahead and go in there. By the way, if it's, if it's offensive statistics, you really have to squint for that season. <laughs> Gunner Gunner Keel was like. A real, real big hypo recruit for OU that season. They really, really wanted Gunner. And it was like, if I remember correct, he switched his recruitment to Notre Dame and yes. then just didn't bother to show up and just went to Cincinnati. It was like well, the he most... was there for a season. There's a bunch of like pictures of him looking vaguely Scandinavian ishly, vaguely in the distance kind of thing. I mean, he's, you know, he just. For whatever reason, I guess he didn't uh, 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 fit in there, but uh, he went to Cincinnati, was very good his first year, 
I, I don't really know what happened. Um, I mean, it's, it kind of shocked me that he wasn't playing as much. Aiden Moore came in and played very well. In 2015, he had a huge, huge game against Miami. Threw for well over 500 yards. Um, and for whatever reason, things didn't gel in the long term uh, for him. Um, but, uh, I mean, Gunnar Keel clearly was a supremely talented guy. I think part of it could have just been the talent around him, which, uh, frankly, was, I mean, the recruiting was a bit indifferent for a while. And Fickle certainly fixed that. I mean, he made them a major player throughout Ohio and, and in terms of the Midwest and uh, uh, in terms of building a consistently strong program and uh, should certainly be applauded for that. But the, the Tuberville era was um, not known for its strong recruiting and that I think hurt hurt all the pieces they had on the field. It was it was always crazy to me, like living in, not just in Ohio, like because I was there for three years, but living in Cincinnati, like there are four high schools that like nationally recruit guys. Like there's guys mm -hmm. that go to Ohio State, there's guys that go to Georgia, there's guys from like all those big four like Catholic Cincinnati high schools that go to like elite colleges and like Tuberville, uh, a SEC coach couldn't get like the top talent from like any of those high schools. Like they're down the street. They're literally like you, you, you barely have to get in your car. Well, and considering how good Cincinnati had been just before that, I don't think it would yeah. be a hard sell either. Come to the place that was just playing in the Orange Bowl and stuff. I mean, they, they've been such yeah. a successful program under, under Kelly and Butch Jones. There's no reason they couldn't have followed it up with some more. We had a, another guest on to talk about his school uh, during a time period, very similar to this time period, actually. Uh, and I just want to get your opinion on the uh, the level of sexiness of this coach vastly overrated well really? i i find him just such a blandly i mean he he's he's fine he's fine he's a blandly handsome kind of guy there's nothing particularly striking or dynamic or particularly masculine about him i think in terms of his look i mean to me bob diaco is just really your classic hunk he's just you know he's a fly by night frat, frat boy if you ask me and for those listening, uh, the he that he is talking about here is uh, is Cliff Kingsbury. <laughs> he doesn't even dignify having his name said in a conversation. <laughs> I think I think everyone I think everyone listening like knew who you pulled up. In terms of, of course, he. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, uh, let me go see what I said about him in my column because I have <laughs> um, about uh, about Kingsbury's uh, uh, visage. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Kingsbury. I, I assume I said something. So this, uh, well, actually, uh, this the, picture the, the, came the, from the, the 2014 to 2016 season. So it's well, you know, the, that my 2016 era. story says includes 75 coaches that are handsomer than Cliff Kingsbury. <laughs> About him, I said blandly handsome in an Ethan Hawk before sunrise kind of way. When things aren't going well for the Red Raiders, he gets all Ethan Hawk as Hamlet on the sideline, which I stand by that assessment of him. I like the the two Ethan Hawke references in this <laughs> two sentences. Well, I mean, some of them like I ranked Brad Bielema number five, and I just wrote a one X play about him where he was he had just been fired with Rex Ryan, and they were sitting on this and sitting on the side of a highway near a Texaco station with their shirts off and lawn chairs, letting people give them a, a belly raspberry for ten dollars. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna go through a few of the other coaches that we have. Uh... We have had on here before. Uh, You're talking handsomeness people. or coaching ability? Coaching ability, yeah. I'm not the one to ask. 
No, no. So let me share. This is also one of the coaches that we had on here recently that we were discussing. Um, and I'm just curious <laughs> where he ranks on your list. Um, well, I, boy, so- did I love baby man Gino. When that thing was around, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Like, I wanted to send that kid, like, uh, you know, some money toward a college scholarship. And Gino's great. I thought he was such an amusing guy on the sideline. I, I really have no idea what he's doing now. Um, but uh, I think he's got some really penetrating eyes myself. I think he's, you know, a little underrated. And yet, like this main picture here, he's got sunglasses on. You can't even see his eyes. It's it's a shame. Well, like, you shouldn't cover such a feature up. You, know, you don't want to give your moneymaker away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I always loved Man Mangino's antics on the sideline were great. Um, Getting back to uh, Cincinnati, fortunately and unfortunately. So I had season tickets this year. And uh, outside of like wondering if the team would score a touchdown, there were two other things that I that I focused on. Uh, I'm gonna need Tom- more cream soda for that. <laughs> so Tommy Tuberville could not have been more disinterested in being a head coach. He didn't call any plays. He just kind of walked the sidelines. Never talked to any student, like any like football guy that came off the field, any other coaches. He would just pace the field and usually had just have his arms crossed. So. And then the other part was, I think the the Bearcat is like possibly the most mischievous mascot in in college football. Uh, That's right. Man. So the, um, let's see. The other thing I noticed here was that Mike Boone was the running back Mm -hmm. for the backup running back, I should say, for that 2016 team. uh, And just like continued that trend straight into pros. Like became the backup of all pro teams. Like he just keeps, he got traded to be the backup of Denver. Like, I mean, it's like, this guy is the quintessential backup running back. Yeah. There were some interesting pieces on that team. Mike Tyson went on and got into the league. Uh, Gerard, Jared Dokes ended Dokes, up being a very yeah. good back for Cincinnati for several years. Uh, um, yeah. There were some, I mean, some players who Cortez Broughton was a pretty good player uh, at, at the higher level. Um, yeah. They got a few guys who went on to be, successful under the next uh next regime although the cupboard was pretty bare i would say yeah it was a it was a pretty brutal watch week to week <laughs> i will say that uh kyle from a distance what's your perception of the cincinnati program uh you know i was kind of rooting for them when they were up and coming there in the late 2000s and the aughts you know they were, they were really doing better and better and it was like it's a school, like you said, why aren't they better? Like, they should always be this good. And then they were finally starting to be good. And OU had a home and away with them. And for whatever the reason was, it was like a really awkward end of the first game. And Oklahoma was just trying to run the clock out. And there was some penalties and then timeouts and then bad, like, like all this stuff happened. And that coach for Cincinnati at the time just thought Stoops was being a total prick. And just the next game was brutal. Like it, it was just a total weird ending. And the next game that when they came to, to Norman, it was a dog fight, man. It was like one of those, man, we pissed somebody off, but I liked it. I thought it was fun. Yeah. I think from, from working there for like a couple of years, I was like surprised that they like weren't good. I know that I missed the time <laughs> that they were good, but it's like, a great school, like great campus, like the you've got the high schools that are like just right there. Not everyone can go to Ohio State. Um, 
and it was just like alarming that they weren't like that. There's 35,000 students that go there. Like, how are you not like good and competitive? Like, it was, and especially in the American, like, it, it was it that was like most of it was like you were basically just like it was like Houston to UCF at the time, mm. and and that's it. Like, you just needed to be better than two teams. I mean, one thing that's, I mean, even throughout that time period, the support for our website was very good. I mean, their their fan base has been very supportive of us throughout. Um, I mean, there's always the expectation that they're going to be good, even when things were poor. I mean, people people thought of themselves as being a big time program. Things will turn around once we get rid of Tuberville, and certainly that was the case. I guess because I wasn't all that familiar with Cincinnati, I sort of was like, well, they had a couple of good years, and. That's what, you know, I started shooting my mouth off about them. They should go to the Mac or something that really upset a lot of people. It's a very different perception of Cincinnati's place in the universe. And they were right, and I was completely wrong about it. Um, you know, I was kind of like, well, there's nothing wrong with being a being a basketball school and being good at, good at football from time to time. But right now, I mean, they're about as, I mean, there was a little drama in the basketball program last year. But, uh, I mean, right now, they're one of the best combos there is in terms of the two programs being successful appreciate this real sense of confidence they have about their place in the universe, because I think unless you're kind of from that part of the country, you don't even think about them historically. I mean, certainly they're in, they're in the press right now, just because of the whole college football playoff conversation. But if they're not in this particular moment, I, to me, it just wouldn't be a program I'd think much about unless I was specifically covering them. So do you For think sure. the Tuberville hire was like, you know, some sort of a gaslighting thing for the fans that were thinking they were too good? To me, it seems like they looked at the resume and didn't do an interview. I mean, I just question how motivated he was for it. I mean, his, re- his, his, his resume speaks for itself. He was a very successful coach, certainly in the case of Auburn in particular. But uh, I, I, whether or not retread coaches are going to be motivated, particularly at a place that he would see as a downgrade, I, it's really tough to know in terms of that. Some guys have certainly done very well with that, like Frank, Frank Solich, who goes from Nebraska to Ohio. He built a program there, one of the one of the consistent winners in that conference. But whether or not other coaches are going to, when they're not on the big stage, really going to embrace the same respect, I think it's 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 really a testament to their character or lack thereof. Well, I think his uh, the allotted payroll he had for players really fell off after Auburn too. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. The, I, the always, I always loved the Spurrier joke when they had a fire at the Auburn Library about, oh, man, a lot of coloring books got destroyed and stuff like this. <laughs> <laughs> I think you uh, I think you hit the nail on the head with that, like being there, like everyone was like, oh, we got Tuberville. Like, and this was like a couple years into it. And the uh, the the uh, the the glisten was coming off the rose. And I know that that's not the right phrase, but uh they good they to want, me i don't know what the right one is but they wanted they wanted him gone but like i remember being like oh they got tuberville and like it was it was still living off of that like auburn success and i think they finally realized like this guy like is barely like i don't know how many hours that guy did at his job but it was it was time theft uh, roughly was, three and it started at kickoff <laughs> Yeah. Well, and even then he was so disinterested. I do actually have like kind of a funny story. So I was like, so living on campus, I have a dog. So I used to walk my dog like all around campus and the stadium is like really cool. Cause it's right in the middle of the campus. I used to walk her, like took her on the field, which you're, which you're not supposed to do. And, and so any, any Cincinnati athletics department folks listening to this, there was never my dog on the field. He, she never went on there. Um, but, uh, 
but yeah i remember running into him being like oh shit like that's tuberville and he was wearing like a quarter zip like vest like looked really nice he has like the thickest accent too especially like in person and he was like he started like petting my dog and i was like so she was like she's friendly like all that and whatever and he's like all he said to me he looked up as he was like petting her and he goes you got a pretty dog <laughs> and then just like they just kept walking because he played was... defensive back easy to recruit <laughs> I won't have to like, go to Bishop Bowler nothing looking for a football player. <laughs> no say next for her. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was like such a funny interaction. I just remember being like, it's like Air Bud out there. I bet. <laughs> yeah. I wonder would he say that about every dog? Would he be like? I think that's an unusual mix. It's like, <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if he did. I would love to have like a Tommy Tuberville reality show where he assesses dogs. People are just in line bringing different <laughs> dogs in front of him. Like, I don't think this one's right. I mean, a better better assessor of talent than uh, than the Cincinnati recruiting trail. <laughs> we had like some. I mean, he's been a senator team. now. I mean, he could be on like the Westminster Dog Show or whatever. Yeah, I mean, we had a couple. There were a couple like bomb sniffing dogs that they would like bring around campus and like especially game day and all that. Um, really? so I, wonder, oh. I wonder what he would say about that. I wonder if he said the same thing. I mean, those were like gorgeous German shepherds. So I wonder. I wonder and, if, and they're I, literally not allowed. Them. They're puppies. Yeah, and you're not allowed to pet them, right? So like, is he just walking up and petting those dogs without asking to? So you could, you just had to like ask. So my dog would like play with them. And I remember being like, she's super friendly, but like loves like playing. And I remember just being like, if my dog bites this dog, like I'm going to jail. Like that's an off, like that's an officer. Like I'm going to jail. <laughs> I'm going to jail if my dog like bites this. Well, dog. I know you, we could have vouch for him. Like Tuberville coming. That's a pretty dog. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tub said that my dog was pretty. <laughs> them German shepherds, when they're puppies, I like them better when their ears are floppy. When their ears get rigid, you can't trust them. They're not going to be on my football team. <laughs> Do you think that's how he gauged his recruits? He went into their house, and if their dog was cute, he yeah. sent them an offer? Well, I think he meant if their ears were rigid. <laughs> <laughs> that boy's got some it's got some. Law. I wish his lobes were attached. I can't trust a player with disattached lobes. <laughs> that was great. That was the one time that I like saw him on campus. Uh, and so his hair was immaculate. Oh yeah, he was like he was handsome, handsome old guy. And so when he was uh, when he was going for Senate, I was like, "There's a possibility that like." a sitting u.s senator has like pet my dog and he was and he was the college's football coach like only in alabama only in alabama, alabama yes <laughs> they'd be like oh we like this guy <laughs> like i'm gonna run for senate i'm gonna get a library card at auburn and check out some of them coloring books <laughs> Well, the good thing is now that he's a senator, he's got aides that can, you know, read those coloring books for him. He doesn't actually have to go through all that effort to read every single page. That Elmo dances at the end of every episode. <laughs> I wonder why it's so happy. There you have it. That is the story. And these are the college football stories. Was it 100% accurate? Yeah, that sounds right. 
Follow us on Twitter at the CFB Stories. Also, see all of our inebriated storytelling podcasts as part of the Stories Podcast Network at the Stories Pods on Twitter, as our guests rewrite the past across various sports. Alcoholic drinks are consumed voluntarily by our guests at their own discretion. Please drink responsibly. He went up on top of the student section. So on top of the student section, there's like, it kind of looks like a, I don't know, it's like 10 or 15 feet high. It's kind of like a keystone. Um, and it was snowing and started throwing snowballs. And the cops were like, we're going to arrest you if you keep throwing snowballs. Really? And he's like, well, I'm a college. Well, first of all, the, the Bearcat's not a, a thing. But, you know, the, the guy or girl in the in the Bearcat costume was uh was like whatever i'm a mascot like i'm part of the team basically like what what are you guys gonna do and they You're literally gonna kill they, they literally arrested the bear cat so there's a video and like pictures of the bear cat like in cuffs they like put cuffs on the bear cat be a worse named conference than the american football i mean really there's a whole other bad bunch of bad conference names that started with that now, now that the Big 12, I mean, we already have been diluting the Big 12 for a lot of years, you know, adding West Virginia and the likes. And, uh, and now we're, we're going to have Oklahoma and Texas mass exodus and replace more. Like, do we have to keep calling it big? Can it just be the 12 or the 10 or maybe the mediocre 10 or? Well, it was the big six at one point. Why not go back to get rid of Colorado and who's the other one? Um, Oklahoma State, I think, were the two they added. They go back to yeah. the big six like it's 1947. Steal Nebraska back, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's funny. At this time, I remember when I was there, like, they were talking about if since he was going to, like, be asked to join the, the Big 12. And I was like, oh, that would be so huge. That would be awesome. And now it's like, now that they actually are joining the Big 12, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I, I mean, was an advocate for joining the MAC and just crushing Central Michigan every year. <laughs> That would be fun. And they'd be on a TV every Tuesday night and stuff. would be great. Exactly. Exactly. Rather than having a huge... ESPN 360U plus two or whatever to see the game. But you would then, you know, who is going to coach the next Notre Dame team? Because doesn't every Notre Dame coach come from Central Michigan first? That's true. That's true. You would ruin all Notre Dame's recruiting of coaches. That's <laughs> Is it really Daniel Tiger's neighborhood? I don't know about this. <laughs> Those are like his talks in like the uh, the like Senate cafeteria. <laughs> Everyone else is talking about like bills and stuff, and he's coloring outside the lines. <laughs> Senator Schumer, wait. do you own a dog? <laughs> wait, wait, do not. I do not know the answer. I'm not done with my Blues Clues episode. <laughs> The big reveal is coming up. He makes his aides sing the like you the male song. <laughs> it's great coaching at College Station. Wait, what? <laughs> like I got lost. So he's he's going to the Greyhound station to get out of Lubbock for the game. Yeah, will, will that be the actual story if we hear about it later on when he's writing his memoirs of after the Senate that he actually thought he was taking the job at Texas A&M and he took it at Tech instead? 
I was so wrong. I had to transfer in Waco. <laughs> I had to wait there two hours for the next bus west. It was actually a bus to Albuquerque, but on the way, it stopped in Lubbock. I can't imagine riding on a bus all the way from Waco to Albuquerque, which is awfully tough to spell. <laughs> but very fun to say. <laughs> Albuquerque. I don't get it. We're the tigers, but then there's an eagle. What's it? What's that? What's that dang eagle doing? How come more than one team is called the Tigers? Isn't that copyright infringement? <laughs> I am going to propose some legislation on that. Tiger, that's something that I can't color. <laughs> there's too many dang stripes. <laughs> Uh, had a oh, tough time man. getting all his team off the dog pile, huh? <laughs> I think we've sufficiently ran this uh this podcast off the rails. <laughs> uh, there's got to be some pictures of Tuberville dogs that you can use for like just part of the promo. Yeah, I don't think I have any more dog puns in me. Uh. Well, I mean, we we talked about the 2016 season. He was really rolling over. <laughs> Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.